Hello everyone, welcome to Secure IT, where we discuss all things cybersecurity, people, trends, and products. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Today's guest is unique in so many ways. He's been everywhere, both physically and figuratively, from director IT for a city which I believe is a podcast in itself, to cybersecurity influencer at Ingram Micro. And that's where uh, he gets to talk about an entire uh, ecosystem with value-added resellers, uh, who in turn talk to tens of thousands of customers and end users. I'm excited to share with you today the very prolific Jerry Dietrichs. Welcome, Jerry. Well, thank you for having me, Phil. I do appreciate it. So, Jerry, a week back, you and Jimmy Augustine were on this very interesting Zero Trust webinar series, and it was at that point that we internally reached a consensus to snag you for this podcast, so very selfish reasons to have you here. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, And, you know, we always start with trying to position and paint a picture for for our audience as to who you are and what makes up the man. Uh, A lot of times there are potential uh, uh, career changers, people who are looking for a new career, the students on this who listen to us. Uh, And so walk us through your background, your career, and the various choices that you made to get here. I I did name a few stops on your journey, but you also have Raytheon, uh, and a move to conquer the world as a consultant, and FireEye. So, you know, quite the mix uh, and, and quite the vast experience, both from the vendor side, the user side, the consultant side. So tell us, walk us through your journey, please, Jerry. Well, yeah, it's a long, it's a long one. And so I'll try to be as concise as I can. Uh, literally, I started out working for the telephone company in Los Angeles back in the day when there was just one big phone company. And that has morphed into uh, working in the private sector after divestiture of AT&T. I worked in aerospace for Rockwell International on the spatial program. Uh, Worked for the Walt Disney Company in uh, their um, studios in Burbank. And we wound up back in the Seattle area and made a decision that we didn't want to raise our children in, in Southern California. So we took a leap and we moved to Seattle and we haven't looked back. That was probably one of the best moves in my career because I ended up in a um, in a company that had global reach. We had offices all over the world, and I was a network manager there for seven years. And uh, I was able to work with uh, all manner of technology. Security was not one of them. At that time, security was a PIX firewall. And what I began to start seeing as I went through my career is that firewalls were just the beginning, the tip of the tip of the spear, if you will. So what we started learning was that the, the bad guys weren't as prolific then as they became over time. And in my career, I wound up working for the local county where I live and uh, ultimately at the fifth largest city in Washington state. When I worked at the city, we had a sister city get breached, and they lost almost $400,000 out of their general fund through a phishing scheme. 
And the mayor leaned over to me in a staff meeting and said, that's not going to happen here, is it, Jerry? I said, of course not, mayor. We got this under control. Knowing full well, I didn't. So I set about a very, very um, arduous campaign to do cybersecurity policy, acceptable use, start putting best practices in place. And I met nothing but resistance. Department heads did not have the time or the inclination to change the way they did business. And so a city has multiple lines of business, police departments, fire departments, public works, libraries, parks, many more. And they didn't want to change their way of doing business. So I made a very conscious decision after, after some time in that role that it was time for me to work somewhere where folks wanted to talk to me and they wanted to hear from me. So I moved from the multi the municipality space to technical sales. And I became a sales engineer for a small company called WebSense. From that point forward, I began my journey to understand that there really are bad people out there. There really is a huge criminal element. And I became more and more impassioned to become the best I possibly could as an evangelist for cybersecurity because I believe that cybersecurity is probably one of the greatest threats to our society today. So I wound up in my journey moving from WebSense, it became ForcePoint, we got bought by Raytheon. So I had a web security, email security, data loss prevention, insider threat, next generation firewall, endpoint exposure. So all of those things wound up becoming a great bed of, of experience to take with me over to FireEye. In a FireEye, I was a channel engineer. So I went from pre-sales working with direct customers to working in the channel and understanding what was important to our channel partners. And as I say, you know, experience is the best teacher. We, I went from FireEye, I moved over to Digital Guardian for a spell, and then I wound up at Ingram Micro about a year ago. And my goals that I was given at Ingram was to carry the banner for the methodology of zero trust and to evangelize zero trust to our partners because it is the next frontier in cyber because nothing else has really worked by itself. And what we're doing is we're, we're combining different technologies together to create a strong posture of cybersecurity with multiple zero trust products. Absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm listening to this and, um, you know, the understatement of the year, a small little company called WebSense. Um, and you, you, you really have seen it all. And I was absolutely right. The, the city gig uh, could be a whole story in itself. Uh, the local mayor of Torrance, where we are, uh, I met him a few years back and we were talking IT and he's, he told me the story that really put things into perspective, Jerry. And he said, look, back in the day, uh, you know, the, the little old lady who had an issue with something in the city would write a letter, expect that letter to take about three or four days to get to the city hall and then to the right desk. And by the time, um, you know, response was on its way or action for that matter, it could be a good three weeks, right? And that was the norm and people were happy. Uh, today, you text the mayor and you expect a response, you know, almost instantaneously. Um, you know, that's so that's one line of development. Uh, we've seen the bad guys make more and more and more money. So now it's even more lucrative um, 
to be in the cybersecurity business or the, or the ransomware business rather than running drugs, right? Uh, it's armchair robbery at its best. Uh, and so you're right to say that this is a serious uh, threat. And to span your career from firewall on one side to zero trust on the other. I mean, I wish there was a diorama to put all this together. Uh, absolutely exciting. Uh, you've been in all the roles. You've been a customer. You've been a vendor. Uh, and you are now evangelist. Uh, so I'm hoping uh, to learn a lot in the next few minutes. And just a, a little note that it looks like we both started at AT&T. Uh, 1990, when I first started Aurora, and, and Aurora actually is my mother's middle name, and uh, I had to come up with this name really quick because we were doing training sessions, or rather I was doing training sessions uh, for AT&T back in 1990 when they were moving from these uh, you know, local telephone operators sitting at the top of your street somewhere to these mega centers in, in Florida and in Texas. Uh, and, and, you know, you have to be, they need training for their team. And so I was hired to provide training for the, for the LA group. So we've got that in common. Great stories. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, let's talk to this very exciting position you have. And I'm, I'm going to use a term that, that you use, Jerry, if I may, with your permission, evangelist. Um, in your current role, uh, you talk to cybersecurity vendors at Ingram Micro, and Ingram Micro is one of the distribution giants. Um, you also, so you've got this 30,000 foot view of cybersecurity. There's the you know emerging business group, the very exciting group uh, that I shared with you that was that was you know um, just critical to Aurora's start uh, when when Ingram Micro's emerging business group uh, came to us and said, hey you know what, just look at PGP. And the rest, of course, was was history. Um, and so you've got this 30,000-foot view of the lay of the land of cybersecurity. And I would say personally, more importantly, you're talking to your customer. You're talking to VARs. You're talking to value-added resellers. There are about a 1,000 of them or maybe 1,500 in the Ingram ecosystem. Each one of them, on average, you know, has 50 to 100 customers, and each customer has anything from, you know, 100 to 25,000 end users. So evangelist and influencer is uh, what we baptize you now for the rest of this program. <laughs> and and so, so, you know, you hear it all. So tell me, um, you know, given this this lay of the land and that, that I just, this picture that I just painted, what is top of mind for you? When we talk about how we want to help our partners, what's top of mind for me is ensuring that we understand use cases and that we apply the right technology to them. What is more important to me than anything else is making sure that we do the right thing by our, the end client. To do that, we have to know what the end client's needs are and what their pain points are. And what we don't want to be doing is selling them product because they're making the most margin or they're, they're going to save the most money. What we really want to be doing is filling the correct need with a correct uh, shaped piece. It's like a puzzle. 
When you put a jigsaw puzzle together, you want to you can shove the wrong shape piece into an open position, but it doesn't fit right. And we want to be sure, that, especially when it comes to cybersecurity, that that puzzle piece fits correctly. So we can't do that unless we know what the use cases are. And what my role is today was top of mind for me is being sure that I understand what the needs are and then I'm able to articulate options. And then I rarely will, will articulate a single solution. But what I want to do is I want to give our reseller partners choices and help them understand the considerations and limitations between. What I, um, I quote Condoleezza Rice often where I say it's our job to sharpen the edges of information so good decisions can be made. That's an amazing, um, an amazing soundbite. Thank you. Um, out of these, and this is a sub question. So you, you well stated that this decision that we make in offering solutions to our customers um, should not be driven purely or should not be mercenary decisions. Well stated, easier said than done because ultimately we've got the sales guy who's making you know 30 or 40 percent on a certain deal versus five percent or another. However, there are economic forces of, at play. There's demand, there's supply, there's a lot of things and ultimately uh, I'm happy to say that you know like you um, 30 years of doing this, we generally end up with the right solution at the right place. So that's been good. What are you seeing currently in the Ingram Micro conversations that you're having, both with the vendors and the customers? And and I, I did I identify this as a subsection question. So before we move on to the next big one is, you know, what if you had... Um, if you have magical powers to focus on on a solution, we'll come to that in a minute. But for the moment, what's coming up? What's what's being thrown up uh, as needing attention? What areas in cybersecurity? The that's a very it, it's a loaded question for me because there's so many opportunities here. The the the, the number one issue that I see in, across the spectrum is lack of. Uh, of knowledge and use of the tools. What we have to do is we, we have to stop selling software and we have to start uh, providing solutions. What that means is that there's a great services opportunity in cybersecurity today. <clears throat> you, we've all heard there's not enough talent, there's not enough people, we need to get people out of school. That's half the battle. The other half of the battle is, is that we have to provide that talent pool with the, uh, the tools and the bandwidth to learn these products and learn them well. What we see is that people want to provide a fast solution to a, a, a and scratch the surface. And what happens is that product gets sold to, to end users or clients, and they only get to use 10% of the power of that product. And what we need to be doing is to help our business partners leverage their investments better. And we can't do that without a solid understanding of how these products work and how they can add value. And more importantly, how they interoperate with other product that's already on site. So those are really important aspects of this uh, of, of our space today that need to be addressed better. Interesting. Und understanding the customer ecosystem and looking at how proposed solutions fit in. So that that that's an interesting concept. We're often in a rush uh, just to find the next best thing since sliced bread, and you know sometimes end up 
pushing a square peg in a round hole. So, so Jerry, given given our our scene, so to speak, our cybersecurity scene today, uh, there's this huge push by Microsoft, for example, to go passwordless. I mean, Microsoft's foray into the cybersecurity scene is 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 a conversation in itself. But I'm just picking one small piece of of that that whole. Uh, marketing impetus, and that's about passwordless, um, multi-factor. You know, we're talking about continuous behavioral authentication. Very exciting technologies. Uh, federally, from NIST, there's a push for zero trust, uh, and that's driven by the fact that today the the work from home concept has removed any kind of barriers. Right, there is no edge. There is uh, the person you're talking to could be anywhere in the world. Um, and therefore, we now look back in and we are talking about zero trust architecture. We're talking about cloud security. We're talking about SASE. We're talking about CASB. Um, things like identity and access management are now at the top of the list. Um, an interesting little sidebar. I was talking at the last uh, TXA Ingram event uh, to one of the visitors and saying, hey, look, you know what? There's this need for continuous behavioral authentication for us to constantly know that the person who say they who say they are who they are is actually that person. Uh, it's not okay to just verify them at one point and let them in. You've almost got to have a spotlight on them right through their existence on the network. Uh, and I was giving them an example that I'd heard of. I'm like, look, you know, this might sound a little far-fetched, but there are consultants who will interview and then put in minions for them to do the job. So they interview for a $300 an hour job. They're well worth it. But then when it comes to actually doing the heavy lifting, they'll put in someone on their team. And because it's all remote, you don't get to see who's doing the work. And they're billing you know, a multiple of what uh, they've originally quoted because they're now extending themselves to five and six different organizations under the same uh, name. And the guy cuts back to me and he says, Philip, that's not far-fetched. It actually happened to us. And I'm like, wow, we do live in exciting times. And, and, and so my question to you is, and you have seen, and again, I bring back, you know, firewall to zero trust. Where do you think the, the CISO, the CSO should focus today? Because we've got to juggle so many things. And if we've got to pick, so this is, you know, hey, you're on an island and there's a cybersecurity storm out there. What what am I going to pick? What's your advice? Where do you start? That's an outstanding question. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the trade answer would be to start at the beginning. What you really need to do is you need to understand what your low-hanging fruit of opportunity is. Or in the case of the CISO, what's his greatest pain? What's his greatest worry? A lot of organizations are worried about um, uh, about data theft. Some organizations are worried about uh, sabotage. Some data. Some organizations are worried about lawsuits uh, and breaches. They're all different, and all depends on the on the different company. Some organizations are only worried about how do they get cyber insurance, because then. They don't feel that they have to worry about the, the, the negative aspects of their business. And these are different approaches that different CISOs will take to, to a common problem. And the common problem is this, is that you want to be sure, like you said a minute ago, who I say I am is who I am consistently. And that's a 
that's a challenge. And there is product out there that will actually register your uh, habits on your keyboard and how you use your mouse. And if that changes, then they can start actually ratcheting down your, your capabilities or, or locking your machine. Uh, it's a very similar, it's a new way of solving the problem of you get up from your desk to go to the restroom and don't lock your machine. Somebody sits at your machine and starts impersonating you. So now we have tools that you can actually buy that will actually say, hey, that's not Phil sitting at that machine now. That's somebody else. Phil types a different way. He uses his mouse a different way. And so I know that because I've registered the, those keystrokes or, or those cadences, the, uh, the the delays. You know, I'm personally not a touch typist, so I do a lot of hunt and pack and a lot of backspacing. And somebody who's a touch typist that's at my machine, intelligent software is going to know it's not me. So that's that's one thing. You have insider threat technologies that will start looking at what do you do at a certain time of day. You start your day, you know, you you check uh, your email, you check the ESPN, the scores, you check the stock market, and then you start doing something different. And that establishes a persona. And if somebody's at your desk and they sign in as you, but they do something different, tools will alert that there might be something that needs to be investigated. So there are tools that'll do that in the software sense. Process and policy are two key elements in user education. These are all key cornerstones to cybersecurity uh, posture and making sure that you're successful. Folks need to know what they can do and what they can't do. And then tools will monitor what you are doing and what you're not doing. And they'll be able to do a delta to understand if what you normally do changes. So these are the things that the CISOs need to really be able to lean into and understand and embrace because they can't watch everybody all the time. So once you have your user identified at your machine, that's one thing. But what is your user's intent? That's your whole insider threat process. So, you know, that's why zero trust is so important because you trust me, I'm inside your castle. I got to cross the moat over the drawbridge and through the gate. You still can't assume that I'm safe. You just can't because now what's happening is that we have secure communications that are running from a PC in the castle to a nefarious location outside the castle in a secure SSL or TLS encrypted communications, you're assuming that because that's it's encrypted communications from desktop to web server, that everything within it is safe. And it could be nefarious traffic that's coming across that very secure pipe. You can't see it. So now you have to have tools that look inside that traffic payload to understand if it's, if it's good or bad. You have to have, you have trend analysis tools to say, well, that URL, that website is known to be safe. Well, they swap those URLs. It's safe today, but tomorrow it's no longer safe. So there's a, a million things that the bad guys are doing that cause us all to lose sleep at night, that we have to have a mechanism in, in a way to, to fight this. You have to make the assumption that they're going to breach your environment. If they do, what damage can they do? And that's where the uh, zero trust facet comes to play because if they steal my persona, I should only be allowed to access specific resources inside my organization and no others. And that is reducing the attack surface. When you reduce the attack surface, if somebody compromises my user ID or does an account takeover and starts doing things on, as if they're trying to be me, 
we're going to limit the damage they can do because they can only see the very minimal elements and resources that I've been granted access to. And when you couple that with other technologies that say, hey, that's not him at the keyboard, or they say, hey, that's not him, he didn't check his ESPN this morning, then those tools start alerting that maybe that persona needs to be looked at and scrutinized. So these are all a marriage of multiple technologies that you blend together as strings to make a stronger chord. You very eloquently detailed the basic tenets in a cybersecurity posture. And you know, you talked about data, uh, which is the core of all being, protect your data. You know, where is it five years from now? Is it encrypted? Who can access it? Um, the cyber insurance piece brings up that whole conversation of, you know, governance, regulation, and compliance, right? If the board of directors saying, uh, bopping the, the CEO and in turn the CISO on the head saying, you know, are we compliant? Are we meeting all these needs? And then there's privacy, um, you know, the little accept cookie on your website in 50 states has to be almost tracked differently um, just in the U.S. Add to that the complications of, you know, India coming up with a 400-page privacy policy, and then there's China. And, you know, we've got a storm, a privacy storm brewing. Uh, And overarching above all this is organizations setting up their own cybersecurity policy and posture. So, you, your experience shows and how eloquently you detailed all that, uh, and it, it will definitely make for good listening. So, Jerry, now that we, we've set up all and we've identified the monster under the bed, so to speak, uh, let's let's go to the the other end. Dream with me for a minute, okay? Um, as a, as an end user, I often you know have a chance to play with different technologies and. Um, there's fun stuff out there from for homeowners. Uh, there's this this beautiful little piece of uh, technology called uh, Sense that can tell you exactly how much power uh, your uh, tea kettle uses every time you put it on, right? Leave alone the three fridges and and um, the security cameras and everything else. And I have to thank my uh, tech savvy neighbor for frequently providing me the latest and greatest in in technology. So we've got you know, our, our security cameras talking to our neighbor's security camera to, ta- to identify you know, who the bad guys are on the sidewalk. Um, you know, we've got water heaters turning on and off when you need them. Um, you know, your car is talking to your alarm system. Fun stuff at the end user point of view. Uh, similarly, in for cybersecurity administrators, the technology is changing. You talked about Continuous behavioral authentication. That's a product that Aurora is offering its customers, and it goes to the speed, rhythm, and cadence at which you type, um, and, and so that it can it can de- de- define and and identify these these micro uh, differentiators between the speed, rhythm, and, and cadence at which you type uh, on a on a keyboard, on on a virtual keyboard, a touch screen, how you use your mouse, and a little fun story. One of our customers got locked out at about ten o'clock at night, um, and finally admitted to being to to having you know purveyed a, a certain green substance and uh, got locked out. And you know the system rightfully said, "Hey, you're not truly you know who you are, right? You're under the influence of something. We've locked you out." So 
technology works for the most part, and this is fun and exciting. And what I want to to allow you is a moment now to to leave all the day to day stuff behind and dream with me as to you know where are we heading uh, in terms of cybersecurity as you rightfully said from the days of the firewall when you know we had to have board level meetings to define and allocate money to spend on cybersecurity to today cybersecurity appearing as a line item just below pencil paper and tape uh, on your on your uh, pnl where are we heading? What's the future of cybersecurity as you see it? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna, what I'm going to say is that the future of cybersecurity lay, really lies in the hands of our future technologists. We have to stop doing business like we've always done business. This is the key because this is the predictable behavior that the nefarious element is banking on the clicking the bad URLs and the going to, to the watering holes and, and, and just keep, it continues. You know, for now, many years now, we've been telling people don't click links that you don't know, don't open email you're not expecting and they still do it. And so we're trying to rely on technology to become that, um, that, that buffer. And really what we need to do is we need to educate everybody. If, if somebody sits in front of a keyboard in a company or even a home, they should not be given access to that keyboard without key training and key understanding of what they should and shouldn't be doing. This is the challenge is that we are we are the the weakest link in the cybersecurity chain is the human element between the keyboard and the chair. What we have to do is have to start there. And we need to incorporate cybersecurity not as an option in schooling, but it should be a mandatory requirement. Because everybody coming up through school, everybody's got an iPhone, they have an iPad, they have a tablet, they have kids are 10 years old, are walking down the street with a $1,000 tablet in their hand. They have to know how to use that tablet. You can't, prov you can't expect them to learn through the school of hard knocks. Mom and dad can't tell them because mom and dad don't know what the risks are. They don't know what their kids are doing. And they don't know what the bad guys are doing when they interact with their kids. So the, this is where it has to start. It has to start at the very beginning. In the 19, I'm going to date myself now. In the early 1990s, Apple used to give machines, computers, to schools. And they did that because they wanted the kids to come up, to grow up in an Apple environment so that that was their comfort level. Of course, it made Bill Gates mad, but that was their solution. They had a, a large state local education division that did nothing but give away equipment. And then the schools removed all of the characters from the keyboards that forced the kids to learn to type. So you had two things happening here. And it was, I don't want to call it brainwashing, but I'll call it conditioning. They were conditioning these children from kindergarten on how to use a Mac and how to type. So what you've done is you've made computing second nature. And what we need to do is we need to incorporate security in that second nature training so that as those kids grow up, it's natural to them what to do to be safe. So that's my solution. Interesting perspective. Both our kids, starting from elementary school, had a Microsoft account and access to Word and Excel, and it carried them through uh, grade school, high school, and college. And so 
you know, these are little subtle things that the big companies are doing, both to spread, uh, spread awareness, but also to create a little, you know, marketing um, or a little more addiction to their products. However, it's in good stead that, you know, today's uh, up and coming potential uh, employee is a lot more aware and more, a lot more adept at, at using products and awareness uh, of um, one of the bars uh, who was at TrustX, speaking of, you know, the length and breadth of our need for cybersecurity, uh, was talking about a, an assessment that they had done for one of the clients, which was a large uh, organization with a warehouse. And the weakest link was actually this little printer strapped to a forklift. Now, now go figure <laughs> how the heck are we going to start uh, protecting uh you know, that whoever thought, you know, there's going to be need to protect that printer on the forklift, but there, there honestly is, um, and the bad guys are everywhere. Let's end cap this very scintillating conversation, and I thank you for so generously sharing of your knowledge and walking us through your journey and to allow us to look at things uh, from your perspective. Extremely interesting. Um, but now I'm going to circle back to you, you know, talk a little bit about you know, relationships, um, your key human influences, um, you know, what makes the man, uh, family, your mantra, your core values, your purpose, please. Well, the I, I guess I, I'll start with some of my um, uh, my influencers. Um, one of my, my greatest corporate heroes is Walt Disney. And uh, I was elated to be able to go to work at the Walt Disney Company, uh, of course, long after he was gone. But the point is, is that the, the, the culture at the Disney Company at the time was inclusive, first name basis, no titles on business cards. So pretension was not a ingredient in, in the way that Walt Disney did, did his work. And he believed that everybody brought something to this party, right? From the janitor to the animator, didn't matter who you were, you had a role and your role was every bit as important as somebody else's role. And so that taught me humility. Um, I also learned through some uh, other training, what I call the uh, inverted pyramid where leadership is usually at the top of the pyramid and they kind of, they, they, they lay edicts or they, they put forward orders, if you will, when really if you invert the pyramid, what they should be doing is listening to the boots on the ground, to the people that are actually doing the work that are that, that know the ins and outs of their business. And they should be taking information from those folks and making good decisions with it. So that's the second key factor for me from a business perspective is the inverted pyramid. You have to listen to the people that actually do the work to be able to make good business decisions. So that being said, um, I have been married almost 44 years. I have two grown children, uh, 38 and 40. I got married when I was 12. And I'm just kidding. And we've, uh, um, you know, bottom line, this is that uh, my mantra is keep swinging the bat. Um, Calvin Coolidge had a, had a quote about uh, being uh, smart and educated and, and whatnot, but it's really perseverance is what gets us through everything. And so that's my my thing. I can't quote quotes on a in a frame here in the room, but I'm not going to uh -huh. turn to read it to you. But the point is, is that we have to be persistent and consistent. And um, my thing is to do everything um, with a high degree of ethics and um, in the best of intentions. And if you're honorable in your dealings, then uh, everything will fall into line. 
uh, my hobbies are I play guitar and uh, and I ride dirt bikes. I ride off-road uh, motorcycles. So quite the rock and roller. Wise <laughs> words, Jerry, wise words. All you have to do is listen, really. I mean, you know, when, when we talk about today's customer experience, uh, same thing, just hear your customer out or hear your team out and you'll usually find the answer uh, that you're looking for. And I do one of these coaching sessions uh, for child safety. And uh, one of the lines in there is that, you know, most of the stuff you need to know about your kid, um, you'll hear in the chatter while you're taking them and their friends from school to the soccer field or to the football field or the baseball field. And an anagram for listen is to be silent, right? You just mix the words around. And when you're silent and listening, so deep thoughts um, as we approach the end of this podcast. Uh, Jerry, if, if someone needs to reach out to you for advice, direction, uh, questions, where is the best place? We will put a, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well on our podcast. Uh, how do we find you? Yeah, the best uh, method obviously is going to be a use of email, and um, you know, it's my first dot last name uh, at ingramicro.com uh, because my name is difficult to spell. You could always send email to cybersecurity at ingramicro.com. And uh, that's a general mailbox that is a team of us that monitor that. And uh, that'll certainly get to me. Um, there, um, there are a lot of resources that Ingram Micro uh, provides to our reseller community. Um, access to a, a team of about 10 uh, subject matter experts. I'm a part of that team. Uh, we have people doing everything from IBM to cybersecurity to, uh, to F5. Uh, just a, a really strong stable of smart resources that are available to our resellers. And so cybersecurity at ingramicro.com will get a note to any of us. So if there's any a question, ever a question for me or anybody else along those lines, just send a note in and uh, somebody will be uh, definitely in touch. And this is my moment um, to record for eternity as the sound waves are beamed out towards Mars that I am eternally grateful to Ingram Micro for this, you know, one spring day 20 years ago when Margarita Cohen uh, brought PGP into our conference room and said, hey, here's an interesting encryption product that you said you should try selling. That was our foray into cybersecurity and the rest, as they say, Jerry Diedrichs will be history. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this episode of Secure IT as I continue the cybersecurity discussion with customers, vendors, end users, and employees, helping us learn from their knowledge and insight, and in this case, from their vast experience. Make sure to follow this podcast for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and wherever podcasts are hosted. Uh, please do direct message me on LinkedIn, Twitter, with feedback, questions, comments, and kudos. Thanks again, and until next one.